This episode of The Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Famous for its waters since 1571, Harrogate is Britain's premium natural source water. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm talking reinvention, resilience and the road to success with singer, actress and former sugar babe, the fabulous Jade Ewan. So settle down, turn us up and get ready to join in with our conversation. you've all had a fabulous week. Thank you so much for joining us for our little session of Sunday self-care. As always, it's wonderful to have you with us. I have to say I am very much enjoying the routine and boundaries that September brings. 9pm cups of tea in bed, early starts and hearty dinners all make for a good working week. And my lovely guest today is certainly not work shy. Having been in the entertainment business since she was just a child, she's appeared on our TV screens, the West End stage, was a member of the Sugar Babes and is now taking on the role of Mariah Carey in Netflix's Louis Miguel. She's the super talented and super lovely Jade Ewan. Hi, Jade. Hi. Oh, that's a nice intro. I was like exhausted listening. (laughs) But that's what I mean. You've done so much. So thank you so much for being with me today. Even though I'm like, how's she got time? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a pleasure. And you obviously worked with my other half and he's spoken so highly of you. So I'm very honored to be here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. for Yes, for those of you guys, I worked with Dan, lovely Daniel, in, in, in a film that's coming out next year, actually. So that a huge very... film? A yeah, huge well, film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. She's <laughs> playing it down, that. guys. Yeah. This isn't about me, this is about you. <laughs> and as I said already, you know, you've packed so much into your career, including playing Jasmine in the West End production of Aladdin, representing the UK in Eurovision, being in one of the biggest girl bands in the world, and a now set to take on even bigger challenges I mean do you actually feel like you kind of only just getting started yeah it's funny you say that because honestly I you you probably feel the same like you have goals and things that you aspire to and so along the way I've been appreciative of every single thing that's led me to this point but I've always sort of felt like yeah but I haven't done it yet do you know what I mean so it's always been like okay, cool, but it's on the way to the big goal. So um, I feel like in more recent years, I've sort of found my footing and my rhythm. And this is a new venture for me doing screen work on such a huge scale. Um, So very much it feels like the start, the beginning of the journey. Let's see what happens. You're only 33, but yet you've done so much. Was performing what you always wanted to do? I always knew, I remember being maybe like four or five, and just being like, yeah, I'm going to be on stage. And that was just normal to me. I had a very clear idea of, of what my future looked like. I remember being in school and anytime there were like show and tell sequences, I would be doing songs. Teachers would say to me, yeah, but maybe you should pay a bit more attention to like your maths. And I was like, oh, I don't need it. I'm going to be on stage. Who needs maths? So yeah, it's always and where, been a goal. And where was that though? So what, what, in, what were those early 
inspirational things for you? Was it the television, music? What was it? This is what's so crazy about this new chapter that I'm facing, right? So to give you a bit of a background, my parents are um, visually impaired. So many people know that, but if you didn't know, they are. So although I had TV on in my household, music really was the main source of entertainment for us. And um, my dad in particular, who's completely blind and has been since birth, is so deeply moved by music. He just loves it. Um, so I always had an interest in singing and he was always so supportive of me singing because it was something that we could share and um, you know, firsthand without me having to describe, okay, this is what's happening on the TV now. Um, so my very first uh, CD that I ever owned was Mariah Carey's. Um, it was it was the Daydream album. Oh. And back then in the CD sleeves, they used to have all of the lyrics written out, like tiny, tiny lyrics. Mm -hmm. And so I would listen, um, you know, to the words, but I was also learning to read, you know, at the same time. And I just thought she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. I was like, I just want to be like Mariah Carey when I grow up. So, you know, my childhood was challenging because of things that happened in terms of my role. I had to play to, with my parents and the area I grew up in and lots of things. But Mariah Carey and singing was always my thing that kept me happy and gave me a reason to like, just look forward to the future and I always used to feel like this is fine like I'm not going to stay here so it's all good this is all just preparing me for what's to come down the line so anyway flash forward to all these years later now I couldn't believe it because when I auditioned for the role of um, Mariah in Lewis Miguel I wasn't told that it was for that part they just um, secretly put on the thing it was like pop star and they said, oh, it was a Latin American show. You know, it's a big deal over here, but you would never have heard of it. Don't worry. And so I kind of just, this is during COVID as well. So mm. we're doing self-tapes from home, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> so I'm there trying to like figure out the camera and all of that. And I've got the script and I sort of just, I did it and didn't really think much of it. And I should have twigged at the time, but they said, oh, would she mind singing a, a snippet of this song by Mariah called my all but it's um, oh, i love that song yeah isn't it beautiful i've always loved it as well and it's beautiful but i thought they went with that because it had the spanish feel yeah. so i didn't know that it literally was to play her and then of course when i find out i'm like i just can't believe how life comes full circle like in hindsight now i kind of feel like everything actually was preparing me for this role um, but I really wasn't aware of it as I was going through it. So it's very and, exciting. I mean, what an incredible thing for you as well, as you said, to share those moments with with your dad as well. You know, that is just, oh my God, that just really gives me chills. And that, I, I don't know if it, if this, if maybe I, I'm speaking wrongly or whatever, but, but because, you know, you, you were acting as a caregiver at such a young age and going into that fantasy world of Mariah, do you think as well it was so much of that kind of escapism perhaps you know that you were in in there with her absolutely because um when you're a child i don't think you really process you obviously don't process what's going on but i do have distinct memories of sort of going into school and knowing I was very different. My dad was the only dad who had a guide dog walking me to school. And people, it's fine, but people used to make fun of the fact that when they would see us walking to school, my dad, the pace of his 
walk was set very much by the guide dog so mm. the dog would be walking quite fast and as a little girl my legs are smaller so people used to laugh they'd say they'd always see us coming because I'd be running to try and keep oh. up with my dad and the dog <laughs> so there was just things you know that always made me feel different um but I always felt like at the same time it's okay because I kind of had my own little superpower which was singing to Mariah and I was just like it, every life's great you know I can sing me and Mariah on the same on the same vibe here it's all good <laughs> and that's the thing is I think you know you you develop then that plan quite early on like this is you know that alignment with her as a singer of this is where I'm going to go to kind of create this life for myself because then you you moved to go to Sylvia Sylvia Young Theatre School yeah I mean was that a hard was that hard for you guys as a family that's an interesting question. Do you know, I, I very, again, I very much had a goal with that. I knew I couldn't go to that school um, without a scholarship because my parents simply didn't have the money. So I had a goal that I was like, I'm going to have to work really hard and find a way to go there. Um, so I went through the audition process and I got in and it was fantastic. But again, when you are a child that's on a scholarship, you tend to be one of the kids that perhaps are talented. I'm not saying anyone's not talented but definitely poorer or not as financially mm. secure so you know there were times in my class where kids literally would be coming into school with Louis Vuitton school bags or like having sleepovers and you know living in Regent's Park and all these really beautiful areas and then people saying oh when are you going to have a sleepover and I was like you're never coming back to my house in East London on my council estate like it's just not going to happen but again I, I feel like it was a really it really set me up for life. I kind of really understood the balance then of, you know, both sides of the coin. And I think I was like, right, I want this. I'm going to go out and work for this. I know the only way I can do it is off my own back. So I think it was good. It helped me adapt in different social settings. Um, I definitely am very appreciative of everything. That's what I was going to ask you, actually. That's the, my, one of my next questions was, because you'd grown up in the environment that you did, and like you said, you know, you, your dad and your mum had different di disabilities, but it was more limiting for them. Do you feel like then, for you, you had that that understanding of, of ambition to think, I can do this, like I can go out and do this, and so I'm going to? Absolutely. My mum and dad used to say to me, do you know what, Jade? you are fully able like mm -hmm. there you don't have any disabilities there is nothing to stop you and even people with disabilities some of the, are some of the most resilient you know inspirational people i've ever met and and they achieve things that i don't even know how you do it, it just it just goes to show the strength of their character and the power of the mind but my mum was like with that in mind there is no excuse for you to not mm. go out and achieve anything that you want to, providing you really do work hard and you set your mind to things, you can go, go, go and wild your oyster. So I was like, why not then? You know, they were a huge inspiration for me and they never, ever played victim or sorry for themselves. So I just never felt like I had any excuse really to do the same. I was like, right, let's, let's do it. And I think that's incredible. As you, uh, That's why I was interested in asking you that because I, I felt to myself as a young girl, you know, you landed the role of young Nala in the West End production of The Lion King at 10 years old. And you've got to have some 
balls, shall we say, you know, to take on those roles at such a young age. You're going out to 2,000, 3,000 people live every night. And I mean, I, I suffer terrible from anxiety and even did as a child. And it's it's tough to go up against, you know, out on that stage and really deliver and perform. But I was interested to ask you those questions purely to think, that sense of responsibility as a child or or just live life to the full and you know go out there and sell it to that audience I mean you know tell me about that experience as a young kid do you know what I think that you're better equipped for it as a young child in a strange way because you haven't realized the scale of everything so for me it was fun and it was make-believe and it was pretend and I was all wrapped up in the movie I loved the Lion King film so I was just like yes I'm getting to do this for real and there was a distinct moment of singing my solo on stage and for the first time in my life, hearing an audience clap in response to the end of my song. And I was like, oh, that's so crazy. And I was like, I love this. I want to do this forever. But as I got older, you become more self-aware and you care more about how you come across and what people think of you. I think that's that was then the challenge. And I'm still kind of working on that now when you talk about anxiety and perhaps bouts of stage fright I never experienced any of that until about three years ago so I kind of developed anxiety out of nowhere it was a very small insignificant moment that became everything then going forward in terms of my performances but I had got to the point where I had been doing eight shows a week, you know, for over two years, never made a mistake. One particular night, um, I had to make a choice between <laughs> breathing and swallowing in between words because there's not enough time to do both when you're live. Um, and I kind of hesitated and ended up choking instead of making the choice assertively, which then resulted in me, you know, hitting a really awful note and then um, being really upset with myself that I had just, you know, dared to make a mistake because I'm such a perfectionist. So I kind of got this thing in my head then, like I can never make that mistake again. So the next performance comes and I'm building up to that moment. I'm telling myself, don't do it again, don't do it again. And then, of course, I do it again. So we get into this pattern of then um, cementing the, the mistake and the the whole cycle and then it becomes very triggering in terms of anxiety for me so then every performance I'm getting to the point where I'm like oh that moment's coming don't embarrass yourself and really stressing myself out working up to it feeling like I can't enjoy anything until I get past that 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 number in the show and it was just such a revelation to me how the mind can really you know it can be an asset for you but it can also be to your detriment where we work ourselves up we have, I have to be, and I have been working on this, kinder to myself. I think that in our industry, but also in day-to-day -day life, we are so ruthless. We can say such cruel things to ourselves because you want to put your best foot forward. But I think like we're all human. And if you're constantly having a negative internal dialogue, how can you possibly do a good job? So I really had to work on that, being kinder, more encouraging, also recognizing that, look, it's not the end of the world. If you choke, I'm a human, I'm singing live, I've done a thousand performances, look, it's one or two, whatever, people will get over it. And they probably don't even notice as much as you notice either. But um, it was difficult. That whole anxiety thing for me then 
you know, I've had to learn to manage it. And sometimes it just comes, doesn't it? Anxiety can just come on and you don't know why. You're and like, you have no idea why. I, I had yeah. something similar that happened to me. Um, well, it's happened to me twice, actually, on stage. Once when I was in Wicked um, and I was on stage on my own and I couldn't remember the next line. And I was like, oh, God. And there were like 3,000 people looking at me. And then when I got off, I, I kind of stumbled my way through the song. But then when I, when I got off... I was then petrified, as you say, and I had about five months left of the job to go. And I was like, I just made it so infuriating. And then another time more recently, and I was less angry at myself, but it still kind of made me panic. I was on stage in another show and I was about to sing and just gobbledygook came out and the MD was looking at me like, what just happened? And I could see everybody in the wings going, oh my god what's happened <laughs> and I had to kind of laugh it off because if I hadn't have laughed it off I don't think I'd have got back on stage because I just but then somebody said to me like you've just said then but you did a thousand that were excellent and then just that one but you've got to understand you're working eight shows a week your brain is yeah. tired you're al- yeah. you're allowed to make a mistake I yeah think the thing yeah. that makes it difficult nowadays for the industry is that social media and fandoms particularly um, especially musical theatre as wonderful as they are they can be very frightening for performers because everybody's got quite a, a, a definite opinion of either the person before you the person that's coming after you and and you're constantly being pitted against other yes, people and yeah. I find that I found that quite difficult um and for you personally I mean you know, you've been in a huge girl band and came in to replace somebody else as well. And that must have been, I mean, do you think that prepared you well for kind of then going back into the West End? Oh, it was, did it prepare me? I guess it prepared me. It didn't make it any easier actually, because um, with the Sugar Babes, I came in and obviously replaced Keisha, which was Mm. the whole saga actually was such a blur and crazy so much of that I really didn't know what was going on I was 20 21 at the time and you know there were management and labels and all kinds of people involved and actually not really telling me who I was replacing I didn't know I was replacing Keisha at the time Mm. and I didn't actually know that I was going to be in the band weirdly enough which we will discuss down the line when I can (laughs) um but I was always under the impression that I would be able to meet the girls first and then, you know, depending on how we all felt, blah, 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 take it from there. So when, flash forward to when I ended up being in the band, suddenly it was like everyone had this really strong opinion of me. There were so many um, statements also made about race, which was difficult, I have to say because I had never really focused on race because of my parents having uh, visual impairments, right? It is the last conversation that ever comes up. It's not relevant to us. So I, you know, I'm from a mixed race family. My mum's Jamaican and my dad's family, well, they're Italian, but they were born here. Um, so I've always known I was mixed race, but when I came into the band, suddenly, again, like you said, on social media, it's like Twitter's just kicking off then. There were so many messages and the main focus was that uh, the presumption was that I was brought into the band because I was lighter because for some reason it was like more desirable and I remember being so upset not just for me for Keisha I thought what an awful thing 
to read. I doubt, I doubt very much that she believed it. I hope she wouldn't have believed it. But mm. I just thought, gosh, that's so sad that people are making these kind of assumptions, comparing, literally comparing us in such a brutal, cruel, ruthless way. You become open to so much. And my own parents were in the firing line then because people were making comments about their disabilities. <sighs> it was just really difficult. I remember being in the back of a, um, a taxi at the time and luckily the, the driver had no idea but he put the radio on and they had this whole debate on the radio about the new sugar babe member and i'm listening to it in the back of the car people calling in with opinions and i just i was like i don't know if i want to do this you know this is i just wanted to sing and singing yeah. used to be my happy place so now all of a sudden you know i'm really having to hear ruthless unfiltered opinions about me as a young person when i haven't really figured out who i am yet um, and try not to take it on. It was really difficult. But in answer to your question with theatre, there's still kind of, you know, with theatre, unfortunately, there is a culture of everybody's constantly in competition with each mm. other. For example, you have to compete to get the job in the first place. You're up for judgment, of course, like there's panels in your finals and in every round people are literally eliminated. But even when you get the job, even if you originate a role and there is no comparison to anybody else, you still have understudies. And for example, your understudies can only get on if you're sick or unable to do the job. So not that anyone is cruel or con like actively wishes you harm, but there is always this feeling of you can be replaced and there's always someone to step in um, and fill your shoes. So I think that's why you're also more highly critical of yourself if you make a mistake, right? Because you're like, there is no room for mistake. Um, I've got to get it right and get the job done. And again, it's all about navigating that, but being kind to yourself at the same time. And what does that look like for you? Like, how have you now at this point where, you know, where you've arrived to this place, having gone through, as you mentioned then, you know, some really difficult, challenging moments in your career as a woman, as a performer, what what is how does it manifest itself now for you to be able to be kind to yourself and go on stage and perform how do you do that you know what? i took two years off um i just got to a point where i was like i'm not enjoying this and everything i thought was important to me ultimately didn't make me happy and i really had to have a look at why like what what is it that that would actually make you happy what's your idea of happiness and that's only something you can answer and figure out for yourself. But my main thing was, and it sounds really cheesy, is that I just didn't have any love for myself. And I kind of pinned happiness and uh, worthiness on all the things I would achieve rather than Jade, the person. If you took away my job, did I feel like I was of any value as a person? And I, and I didn't, if I'm being honest. So I just... I started doing a lot of meditation. I started reading. I've read so many books. Um, affirmations. I'm obsessed with crystals. I always have been anyway. Um, and I, I kind of just spent a lot of time on my own um, working on myself, really. That's it. And I think I can say I've come to a point now where I, look, I don't want to hear bad things about myself, but ultimately it doesn't matter because I know what, what I bring to the table. I'm not seeking approval from anyone else. And if you do think that what I do is great, then that's lovely. But um, if you don't, that's fine. Like, you know, you've got to have enough self-worth um, 
without waiting for everybody else to tell you you're good enough because you'll be waiting forever. I think that's the point. Um, so yeah, and it's something that everyone has to work on for a long time. I can't say I'm 100% there, but I'm definitely now looking at life going, yeah, these, these opportunities, Lewis and Miguel, fantastic. And I know, I know I will be compared of course, to the real Mariah, which by the way, there only is one Mariah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm the first person to say that, but you know, whatever I'm, I've been given the opportunity for a reason. So I'm like, well, I'm worthy of it and I'll just do my best and. And then when that job's over, there'll be something else. So. And don't you think so much of it is about taking the power back? Like going, you know what? I'm taking my power back. I've given you all my power for so long to judge, to do this and to do that. And now I want to now take it back for me. And actually I own my own power. Exactly. And that's the thing. You do have the choice, right? I had to realize this, that, you know, you can't control what other people say to you but you can choose how you respond to it. You actually can. And it's quite a difficult thing to get your head around, but they're only, they only have the power if I give it to them. So, um, you know, where they say where uh, attention goes, energy flows. If you start, you know, buying into that feeding negativity, fear-based, all of this stuff, it just breeds more of it. And I just thought, I got to a point where I was like, you know, if anyone gives me hate, it's actually not my problem. This is coming from a place of pain and perhaps lack. And that's not a judgment. It's that we've all got things going on. So it's not really about me. That's them trying to work through whatever they're working through. And perhaps something about me triggers them, reminds them. But that's kind of their journey to, to work out. And you just got to keep it moving. Um, because otherwise, you know, if we're looking around going, oh, please like me, please like me, you know, like I said, it's just a miserable existence. <laughs> and it, it's so draining as well. I mean, I think so much of it is about setting healthy boundaries for yourself as much as anybody else, you know, to say, okay, I'm going to start saying no to things and own, own the no, like really own that no and say, no, I really am committed to saying no. I'm not saying it and now going, oh. I'm really committed to it and owning that. And then also kind of having that that thing of, you know, being being stricter with yourself on things like social media because comparison inevitably comes in, you know, and it does. And, you know, just in terms of like your crystals and all those, you know, your meditation, you know, just tell me a little bit more about the things that you find those kind of practices bring to you and, and how, again, what that looks like just for, so that anyone else who's interested might be able to kind of hear a bit more about. Okay, so this is something I love. I could talk about all day long. But with crystals, I was drawn to them as a small child because I thought they looked pretty. And to me, they were like treasure, you know? So I liked the idea of that. And I remember going down to the seaside to visit my grandparents and they had lots of these kind of shops of crystals and incense and all these beautiful things. So I naturally just would gravitate towards them. But as I kind of got older and I got into meditation and the meditation came about because of the anxiety, it was becoming so crippling that I felt like I couldn't get through a day uh, without doing at least two meditations a day. It was, you know, I feel anxiety in my stomach area, so it would become a physical pain for me. Um, I remember hearing somewhere that Chris, you could use crystals to amplify energy or for example, they all have different properties. They all radiate at different frequencies. So they align with, um, we have chakras. So if you don't know, we have different energy centers in the body and they are all connected to different things. And when you are um, 
sick or ill, you often find it, it stems from uh, the psyche, that it manifests in the body in a physical way when you've had some kind of trauma or upset. So anyway, there are crystals that can align with certain energy centers. I started to then use a citrine because that's the orange crystal um, that deals with where I feel anxiety and pain. And interestingly enough, when I would look into it, that energy center is all about feelings of worthiness, self-love, mm. um, courage. Um, but it can also be the center that you tap into to manifest abundance in your life. So I thought, well, I like the sound of this. <laughs> Apart from the fact that they look great, I'm like, well, why not give this a go, right? So I started with my citrine then doing uh, meditations I would do kind of a, a morning meditation to set me up for the day but in the evenings I thought I'm going to shift my focus from being fearful and worrying about stuff to actually focusing on all the things I love and that I would like to create um, so it become like playtime actually a nice thing I'd look forward to to you know visualize all the things I wanted to achieve or places I wanted to go um, and I would do an abundance meditation. And, you know, there's something to be said for this. I do feel like whenever in my life, without even knowing it, whenever I've been able to see something very clearly and have a goal, in the end, I always end up making it happen. But it's kind of happened by mistake. It's like I haven't known the steps. It's just something I focused on, visualized over and over until it ended up happening. So I thought, right, I'm going to actually make a conscious effort to really give this a go then you can tie in things as well like affirmations and you can then really go for it you know with mm -hmm. like crystals meditation affirmations visualization all of the stuff but i really feel you know i just I, I love it it brings me joy i found that even people who don't necessarily believe in it um whenever i've spoken about it and shared it you know friends have gone oh do you know what i quite like the sound of that so i might just buy a little crystal myself um, and, and funnily enough, I first told Dan about it when we were on Aladdin and Dan in the first year was in the ensemble and he said to me, I would love to be a principal on the West End. And I said to him, well, you need to get yourself a citrine. You need to get this stone of abundance. And he was like, oh, all right. So we went to a crystal shop and he chose it. And he said he made a point of every day picturing himself in the costume with his name on the plaque. He did this every day for the rest of that contract. He ended up auditioning and he took the crystal with him. Well, he gets the job. He ended up then the next year being Kasim um, in Aladdin as a principal, made his debut. And he now always carries his citrine, he kisses it and he's like, oh, this is it, this helped me. So I think, yeah, even if you don't believe in it, if you send out good energy and, and you have a focus, it can be a really useful tool. And for you, as you said, with that focus, you know, that's really led you um, to this new place now in your career. And I think this is, it's funny with performers because we'll both know this. In the entertainment industry, well, for me, I used to just try and do everything when I was young. That's kind of what it, it encompassed, everything. But for some reason in the, in the UK especially, if you then try and step aside to do something else or do something else, you naturally come up with a lot of criticism it seems and there's a period of reinvention that has to happen and would you say that this is a period that you're kind of entering now uh, maybe not a reinvention a, a realignment with like your screen work and moving into the area that you're in now 
Yes, absolutely. It wasn't a deliberate thing, but I think you're right. I think when I was younger, I just did it all because it would, you know, bring me joy. And I went to Sylvia Young, so we had to learn everything there as well. Mm. Um, and then because the entertainment industry is so tough, you kind of just take any job that comes initially. You're like, I just want an in, whatever it takes. Um, but it is frustrating when you have, over the years, developed skills in multiple areas within the entertainment industry but for some reason we're limited in the eyes of you know whoever it is that we can only do one thing you're known for that one thing now so you can't be good at anything else um but again I've kind of just gone well I'll show you (laughs) You (laughs) I can't have somebody tell me what I can or can't do I'm only I'm the only person allowed to do that so yeah I think that taking that time out and actually just having a moment to figure out who I am has now helped prepare me for this next chapter. It's like you, you have to have a very clear idea of, like I said before, you know, your own happiness and self-worth. And then, you know, I kind of now just see it as like, if it flows and it comes to me, fine, but it's not the be all and end all. I'm not waiting for those opportunities to validate who I am. So yeah, I feel, I feel much more relaxed, more free about the whole thing now. And, you know, for where you're at now, what what would you tell your 21-year-old self, you know, the one that was kind of heading off into the band and, you know, was probably about to walk into something that was really quite volatile, I expect, at that point in your career? What, what, what things would you wish to tell her? I think, actually, not to let everybody else tell you who you are. You know, when certainly in the music industry and in a band, they had an idea of what their brand looked like. And I had to fit into that. Um, So I took that on as my identity. When actual fact, it wasn't me. And everybody has a different version of you whenever they meet you. Nobody actually knows the real you. They can't possibly know every aspect of you. So I felt very lost. I felt very much like, oh, okay, well, if they're saying that's what I am, then that's what I am. So I think... um, just to go back to, you always find the things that make you happy, the things that seem to spark excitement in you, I think are your true authentic self. So spend more time, you know, whatever that is, if it's reading or getting crystals, whatever, spend more time doing those things because they kind of lead you to your true self. And just, yeah, I think now I'm a bit like, fine, if you if that's your opinion and that's how you see me, you're you're absolutely entitled to that. But I'm just kind of going to let it go at the door and not take it on until I have to step into those shoes and perform to a certain extent to meet your expectation. And in terms of, you know, this role of Mariah, I, I obviously know I can't ask you too much about it, but, uh, but I'm like, ah! But, you know, I, am I allowed to ask you kind of, you know, your preparation for that role? Like, uh, what, what went... What, went into it you know um so preparation wise I didn't really have time because like I said it was a a secret of the actual role and then we were in the middle of the pandemic so we were going into a major lockdown I can't even remember which one this is now um so it was all a rush to see if they could get me out to I had to film in Mexico City so it was all this frantic rush. I think I had three days notice and then I was on the plane. Um, but I had bought her biography because I was like, oh, this is going to be the absolute, you know, number one thing I need to look into. So I read that, the bio, on the plane all the way there. I didn't sleep the whole flight. And then when I got finally into the accommodation, I was reading that for a few days. 
Um, but yes, I guess the only other thing I can say is that I initially was told that she might not be called Mariah, that we might be basing it on Mariah, but she would have a different character's name. So it wasn't important to necessarily mimic her and that the goal and the focus was to make her a real person because of course the performer that we see isn't necessarily Mariah mm. behind closed doors. And actually reading the bio, you know, really made that apparent. So much of her bio I could personally relate to because of some of the references she makes to um, her childhood growing up as a mixed race woman, you know, being in schools where she was one of the poorer kids. There was so much of it that actually resonated that I felt like, okay, this gives me the freedom to not overthink this because it's quite a daunting prospect. But yeah. I was like, you know, I know this truth because this really has been my life, okay, in a different country, but, and on a smaller scale, but, you know, I do know what it is to experience these things. So all I have to do is approach it, you know, from the perspective of, of Jade. Um, and she just happens to be this absolute icon. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was kind of the majority of my preparation for the role before I got onto set. But yeah, it was a whole other thing on set because I'm then dealing with a director and a crew that their first language is Spanish. Um, so, you know, this was a new experience. And then of course we're in the middle of the pandemic because there's masks and COVID restrictions and that's a brand new thing anyway, being on set with all of those restrictions. So the whole thing was, um, yeah, a massive, a massive learning curve, but a wonderful experience. And I'm really excited for it to come out and for people to finally see it because it's been ages. And, and was there one moment where you thought to yourself, like, with all the things like you said, you know, you've, you've hit so many peaks in your career and you've, you know, achieved incredible things. Was there a moment still, though, when you were like, oh, oh this is mad and I'm Mariah Carey. <laughs> yeah, the whole time, to be honest, I was just like, oh, what am I doing? You know, like, and, and it was exciting and terrifying, like equally, but it was coming from a different place now because it was like trying to understand the scale of this project is really hard because it's a huge, huge, they said it's their biggest show in Latin America ever. And in their first debut season, they, they, I think the viewership was 60 million, which is like the same figures that um, uh, Queen's Gambit and, and Bridgerton, those, those kind of numbers. And that was just in Latin America. So Luis Miguel um, is actually a, a superstar over there. He's kind of like their equivalent of um, Elvis. And he's had the most incredible life, but very been very private about it. And there's been quite a lot of um, trauma and devastating things happen. Um, but he decided that he would give permission to do a show on his true life story. So this chapter of his life with Mariah has always been something that the fans apparently have really wanted to know about and have, you know, anticipated, but um, have never been able to find out very much because there isn't much, even in her bio, there's like two pages of, like, oh, I could have done with more on that chapter, Mariah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was like, you know, and they all kept saying to me, oh gosh, you wait, you know, you wait till this show comes out. I don't think you understand because I hadn't even heard of Lewis Miguel over here. Um, and I'm still yet to really see, you know, the scale of it. But I, I started as I was around the set, you know, seeing the kind of production value and scale of everything going, okay, this is kind of a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and did did any of those nerves and self-doubts you know and anxieties did any of that creep in while you were out there or and, and how did you manage it if it did 
Um, do you know what? No, not not really the anxiety or self-doubt. I Like I said to you, I felt like I got myself to a really positive place. But one thing I really struggled with um, was night shoots because mm. I had done a couple of night shoots over the years here in the UK, but we would never work to the hours that they would in Mexico. So I had a week of night shoots where we were literally going until 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. And then I'd be going back to the apartment and Mexico City is a really noisy, vibrant place. So, you know, you'd have people selling things and screaming through megaphones at 7 a.m. So I'm trying to sleep when the world's coming alive. And then on about day three of going in to do the night shoots, I just remember just feeling like I couldn't even string sentences together anymore. I was so tired and trying to do an accent as well. And of course, um, there's quite a lot of like improvisation the director likes to do. So you're really having to be quite sharp and quick thinking and having sleep debt is no joke. Um, <laughs> so that was tough. That was really, really tough. And I think that was the first time I kind of ever really experienced insomnia, to be honest, because then you get in the panic of needing to sleep. And that was, yeah, very stressful. You know, as you've just said then, you know, the scale of this and how big it's going to be, 60 million in just Latin America. I mean, how are you trying not to think about those things and the scale of it now and just kind of crack on with life over here and and just like get on with it really and enjoy some downtime, I suppose, before that that thing happens because you you know you do you get told don't you it'll be a big machine and all of a sudden you're like oh are you just now trying to enjoy this time that you have now before that happens absolutely and and I mean maybe this is naive of me but I really don't know what to expect and I because it's not part of our culture here I don't know if here it will be um, such a huge thing. But that being said, I know Mariah is an international superstar, so perhaps it will be. I really don't know. But I've kind of just gone, look, don't think too far down the line. Don't have any expectations because this is one thing I've learned in life, that things never go the way you think they're going to go anyway. So just you know, ride, ride the wave and take it one day at a time and just have fun and be happy. So... That's been my main focus, really. Be taking my sausage dogs out for loads of walks in the park. I've loved that. <laughs> and yeah, just just eating well, hanging out with Dan, and yeah, loving life. Seeing my friends and family again now that COVID is finally, hopefully, the worst behind us. Looking forward now, and kind of how this happy life that you you've created and that you've worked really hard on, and you know you can see that already, and kind of even just in our chat, the things that you've overcome and the chapters that you've overcome if you for our well-being you know um capsule what would be the one thing that for other people you could recommend and pop into that capsule for us so there's two things actually based on our conversation number one is i love the app breathe and that is the meditation app that i was talking about and it's spelt slightly differently. So it's B-R-E-E-T-H. Um, but that app for me was so good because you can t- type in, look, if you're struggling with anxiety or insomnia, or if you want to learn how to meditate, that was such a, a really overwhelming, intimidating idea in the beginning. I was like, I can't sit and think of nothing because that's what I've been told, but that's actually not the focus and the goal and there's a lovely lady on there called lynn goldberg and she teaches you the principles of meditation and you build up you know you don't have to go in straight away with 20 minutes of silence trying to think of nothing it's impossible so i did a step-by-step thing with her 
Um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's changed my life. And I used to hear, I heard Oprah Winfrey and all kinds of wonderful people saying they swear by meditation. I used to think, well, if it's if they've got this going on, it must be for a reason. So, but it has. It's re- absolutely changed my life and just made given me a tool then in in engaging in any kind of exchange to just take a step back sometimes, um, to not so quickly become emotionally, you know, invested and just observe it for what it is. And um, I think it really puts you in good stead to deal with pretty much any challenge that you you come up against. But the second thing. Um, it's very difficult to narrow down. I was going to say a book, but there's so many books that I love. Um, but there is one particular, there's one particular book called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Um, and it's obviously only seven chapters, it's not very long. Um, I don't want to give too much away about it, but I would definitely recommend looking into that. That is Again, another way of having goals, you can be ambitious, but also aligning it in a really wonderful way where you're bringing in happiness and manifestation. Anyone that's into that kind of stuff, um, I think it's a fantastic tool. So check it out. Oh, I love that, Jade. I'm so excited now to be going away now and finding that book and recommending it to everyone. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. It's been such a joy to have you with me today. I am gutted that we've got to finish because there's so much more that we could have talked about, but obviously we are only on an hour. But thank you so much for being with me. It's been an absolute joy to have you. Thank you. I've loved it. I have felt, this is weird. I'm talking about myself so much. (laughs) that's the point isn't it but you know what it's been brilliant and it's been you know you've shared some incredibly helpful things there I really hope you guys at home have enjoyed our conversation too and that you've managed to take some inspiration from it as Jade just mentioned there earlier she will be appearing in the new series of Lewis Miguel which will stream on Netflix in the very near future so head over to at Jade Ewan official Jade on her Instagram to stay tuned for updates and if you would like more well-being fashion and beauty you can also visit us at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the in conversation page and subscribing to any of our podcast channels and youtube it would be lovely to hear your thoughts on this new series so please do leave us your rates and reviews i do enjoy reading them if you're a social butterfly you can also catch us on instagram and facebook at official capsule i will be back next week with another very lovely guest but today all that's left for us to say is goodbye so goodbye from lovely jade bye thanks for having me (laughs) it was an absolute pleasure and goodbye from me this episode of the capsule in conversation was brought to you by harrogate spring water Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes, perfect for healthy hydration.